gave me a pink balloon and said, listen, can you say a prayer for her and release this balloon when you get to the South Pole? He had no doubt that I would get to the South Pole. Wow. And um, the difference was that Faisal was there for his own goal. I was there representing women that were plugging into chemo and reading my blog, watching video images coming out of Antarctica. I had seen women with both their breasts cut off, um, you know, with a bright and happy attitude saying, listen, be safe. So when those feelings of defeat and quitting came, I had these multiple images of women that I stood for um, in my mind that made it impossible to quit. Welcome to Justice Matters, the podcast inspiring a world where everyone belongs. I'm your host, Tim Buxton. Welcome back to Justice Matters. Today we have part two of my interview with Jeff Wilson, uh, an extraordinary individual. If you have not listened to part one, make sure you do that. You will hear some incredible stories of the epic adventures that this extreme adventurer has taken. He's a vet surgeon. He is a humanitarian who has served in some of the most um, devastating tragedies around the world. Um, and he shares with us uh, the lessons he've learned on building a dream life, building an adventurous life, but not a life, as you'll find in this episode, that is just centred around our own selfish ambitions, but on a life that is centred around having an incredible impact in the world, especially those less fortunate than ourselves, living a life where justice and freedom is experienced by those around us. Um, and even just in our own family, but and also to those on the other side of the world where we might uh, experience and see great suffering and pain. You learn so much again uh, from Jeff in this conversation. Wow, I was blown away just by hearing him share, and I know you will be too. Here's Jeff Wilson. And I found, I, honestly, I found that hard growing up because it was like I graduated high school and I was. I was had to figure out what I wanted to be for the rest of my life and then I went you know went to uni for that and and I ended up dropping out of uni but and I guess charted my own unorthodox path through life but um I think for so many of us we've we've kind of we get trapped thinking that we just have to have it all you got to all figure it out and the pressures are are just uh don't kind of lead us into that life of an adventure, that life of discovering what crazy, audacious goal I would actually want to achieve. That maybe I that is I know I don't have the ability to achieve. I know right now here where I am is seems impossible, and it's not this Walt Disney fairy fairy tale kind of dream. I, I don't feel like we're talking about here. We're talking about no, what is it deep down innately? It makes you come alive and why wouldn't you not set that as your north star and why wouldn't you um, figure out a path and expect setbacks expect the, that that you're going to come up with a back injury that you almost could have destroyed your back while you're training for a foil you know uh, adventure like why wouldn't you expect that that's going to come your way 
unless you know, if you're going to stick your head up out of the trench, you're going to get shot at. So I think stepping stepping into your dream is essential. And I think the unfortunate thing with the Australian story, at least since probably the fifties, is that we've told our young people to work as little as possible. Um, mm. You know, the dole handout has been a big feature of. You know, people look at the you know five surfers living in a house doing very little mm. on the beaches. Wow, that's Nirvana. That's that's my dream. That's been a, a lie that has walked people down a horrible road where they wake up in their early forties going, "Wow, I've got nothing to show for this. I've I've been self orientated, um, putting chemicals into my body that mm-hmm. are unhealthy. I've you know." sacrifice my youth for waves or climbing or whatever passion it is but i've been left with nothing Mm. whereas you know a little bit of uh understanding that hardship is good for you mixed in with an understanding that you you can't get so focused that it puts you out of balance and i I look at it you know when the the lawn bowls ball Mm. If you're leaning all towards work, it just goes off track. If you're leaning all towards play, it goes off track. So it's this incredible balance between work and play. But if you can do something that you're passionate about, your work feels like play. Yep. That makes this very straight rum line where family and friends and community is central and making a difference in the world is mm. central. And I think then, honestly, I don't find many people with massive mental health issues Mm. that have that bowling ball kind of aligned up. Yeah. And it doesn't mean that the people that look like they've got it all together are not working in the background to keep themselves sane. But I do think we're seeing a, a massive epidemic of mm. anxiety, depression, because these bowling balls are completely skewed and there's mm. a loss of dream and vision. So if I have a young person working for me who is really struggling with purpose, um, I'll often sit them down and go, okay, tell me, Let's build a dream map and Mm. I call it the cloud nine dream map where we have three columns and it's personal. What's your personal dream? You know, Mm. do you want to be the world's number one ukulele player or, you know, (laughs) something that only applies to you? It's a selfish dream and, you know, build three dreams in that column. So an easy win, a moderately difficult win and an impossible dream. Like I want to be, I want to win the voice whatever it is, you know, I want to be the world's best weightlifter or what, you know, something audacious in that personal Mm -hmm. column. And then uh, a family column, which is, you know, what does your partner look like? What do your kids look like? What does my wife look like? Mm. My husband, you know, partner, whatever. What does that look like one year, three year, five years? And, you know, short-term win, medium win and an impossible goal. You know, Mm. a possible goal for me would be, I want to live this adventurous life and at 80 be in a rocking chair on the deck with Sarah with happy family behind me and, you know, everyone feeling like I gave them time. Mm. That would be my audacious goal on my family line. Mm. And then the last column is work or business where, you know, you've got the three three parts of that bowling ball, personal, family and business Mm. slash work. What does my business look like now, three years, five years, and what's the audacious target? You know, for me, with my vet love group of practices, it was 20 hospitals uh, operating at a healthy 
profitability with happy teams, providing mm. world-class standard of care. Yeah, that's my audacious goal. We're wow. at 12, 12 now. The original goal, audacious goal, was 10 hospitals, and we passed that in four years. Wow. So you, then you reset these goals, but I think a lot of humans just don't have this concept of dream mapping. It's, it's something that is... It's an art that's been lost. And if you look at a, a child of, say, nine and below, they imagine stuff all of the time. Imagine themselves being a warrior or a cowboy mm. or a ballerina or astronaut. We lose that ability over time. The dream map is, is teaching you to get your imagination going again right? and build these very distinct goals. And I would encourage anyone building a dream map off that nine-square platform even if you're a terrible artist, to, to just mud map a little drawing attached to it. Because your brain remembers images way mm. better than it does words. Text, yeah. Um, so by drawing these images, you'll start to really build out what the dream looks like. And what I've found over multiple journeys is that if I build the endpoint um, very clearly in my mind, it's much more likely to come to pass. So... For the Sahara journey, I meditated for months on the four guys involved safely getting across two and a half thousand kilometres of landmined desert through six West African countries, you know, with Al-Qaeda bandits beheading tourists in that same month. All of that, I imagined this image of the last sand dune, and I'd never been to this point, but I saw it on the map. It was the Senegal River with some dunes coming down into the river, I was standing in my mind on the last sand dune looking north towards um, Europe, basically. Mm. And there were four tracks over these tangy red-coloured dunes. And they looked like mountains of tang. Remember that orange? Yeah, yeah. Drink we used to have. I'd, I'd, uh, you know, in my mind, that's what it looked like. Mountains of tang with these four tracks. And then the four of us standing there with our helmets off back to the Senegal River and in my mind, the river was black. It wasn't like a blue or a brown. Mm. It was black. Six months later, we've been through this brutal 42-day journey. 13 men, nine of them during the journey had emotional and physical breakdowns. Uh, we had one guy very nearly killed by a kite accident. We had Al-Qaeda bandits follow us in Land Rovers with machine guns. We had um, 700 kilometres of landmine sand which is where most of the breakdowns occurred because it was so stressful travelling through the landmined areas. Um, but there we were, standing on this red-coloured dune. It was the bizarrest red-orange sand I've ever seen. It looked like tang. Just like and, your vision. <laughs> and behind was a boat waiting to take us across this black wow. river. And it was as black as the river sticks, you know, in Hades. It was the weirdest black colour. And somehow looking northwards were these four tracks over the last couple of dunes. So it was way too accurate for it to be. Uh, this this dream map is like a portal into the future. It's, wow. it's quite bizarre. On my first Antarctic journey, the end point was a place called Hercules Inlet, which you, there's no more desolate, lonely place on planet Earth. It's uh, basically from the South Pole. 1,300 kilometres towards the coast and there's this long inlet and it's the shortest way to get from the pole to the coast because the inlet comes in with sea ice quite a long way in 
in my mind, at this point in time, I had no pedigree as a polar explorer. So for me to be imagining an endpoint after a, a brutal journey like that, um, my imagination had me beating the record for the fastest coast-to-coast crossing. Mm. I didn't specify how much by, but it, I saw myself coming down the gradient towards the sea and then on my left were two mountains that looked like, for want of a better description, a pair of breasts, basically. These mm. weird sort of snow-covered domes on the left-hand side of the inlet. And once again, I'd never been there. I'd never seen what blue ice looks like. I, I was Blue ice is glacial ice coming off uh, a too high gradient for snow to, to stick at it. Mm. Um, so the... The whole thing in my mind was very specific. These breast-like mountains, an inlet of ocean ice, and me finishing having broken the record. Anyway, it's probably 18 months later, and I've been through the most brutal journey. I'd run out of food. Um, I'd very nearly broken the record for the fastest pole to coast Mm. Five days, 20 hours, the record was five days flat. I didn't even know that, but I had no food, so I had to travel. Oh, my goodness. Ate my last meal, and then as the mist And you're cleared, alone. I'm alone, <laughs> and I, I'm on a GPS marker that tells me I'm over the ocean. If I drill down, I'd get into salt water, so I'm off the continent. I've gone far enough, and it's just a whiteout, so it's completely different to my mind view. And I was confused. I'm like, this is confusing to me. This doesn't match what I'd built in my faith eye, and I've never seen this before. Um, anyway, it was a three-day storm. I didn't didn't get picked up for three days, and it was whited out the whole time, so they couldn't get an aircraft to me. So I had a spoon, and I was scraping the inside of my sled to get protein powder and chocolate powder that had impregnated into the Kevlar to make a soup to live off. Um, plenty of water, plenty of fuel, but no, no food, and you're burning, you know, six to nine thousand calories a day because your body is just like a furnace after a polar journey. So you're starting to really feel the effects of hunger, and then on the on the third morning, the cloud lifted, and behind me was this blue glacial slope of blue ice down to the white ocean ice I was on. And in the distance, out of the mist, came these two breast-like mountains on the left-hand side, and it completely lined up with my faith eye image. And I had this just chill as I stood outside and realised that what the clouds had covered was this exact match to an image I'd built in my mind 18 months previous. Mm. And I'd... You know, one more faith eye image example um, that's really fresh because it's from my most recent polar journey, the longest journey, which was an attempt to break the longest solo polar record of 4,800 um, held by Rune Geddes or Mike Horn at 5,100 kilometres. Um I'd spent seven years trying to get a particular route across Antarctica sanctioned by the Australian Antarctic Division and met blockade after blockade after blockade. Finally, I thought, well, stuff it. We'll, we'll go through Russian territory, but it's going to mean that I will have to get up and over the highest point 
on the polar plateau, which is a feature called Dome Argus, which you imagine airs rock, but 13,000 feet high. So, you know, it's a very, very high dome of ice and it's at the South Pole region, so the air is very thin. So you're operating at an equivalent altitude of about 17,000 Wow, around the equator, it's the coldest naturally occurring place on planet Earth. So if you get a cold snap, even in the middle of summer, it's going to be cold enough to kill you at minus 70. You're not going to survive. That's Celsius too, right? That's Celsius. Oh my. So you're not going to survive minus 70. So you have to time it to get over during a warm spell, which would be about minus 50. Um, Everyone in the know in the polar exploration circles said, listen, it hasn't been done because it's so far from the coast. You couldn't get there and back in one Antarctic summer. You'll be left behind in the winter and have to do another year of dark and you won't survive the winter in a tent. So it's never been done. It can't be done. There's no wind going up an ice feature. All of the wind in Antarctica rolls from high altitude to low altitude. So generally from the domes A, B and C to the coast. Mm-hmm. So you're not mm-hmm. going to be able to use kite power to get up it. You'll be manhauling. You won't have enough oxygen to manhaul. Um, you're out of range for Russian support aircraft to get to you. So you're going to get so far away from the coast, no one can pick you up. You're not going to be able to get back. You'll die. Mm. So all of these challenges were there. Anyway, one by one we worked on logistics and planning and miracle after miracle occurred on the journey but my faith eye image that I worked on was of my boot um, a particular boot that I've used um, the Salomon Mistral mm. it's a very warm ski boot comes in two colors a white or a bright orange and in my mind's eye it was a, a, a bright orange boot stepping on the highest point of the Antarctic plateau the top of Dome Argus because that was the crunch point. If I could get to the top, then I've got wind rolling downhill to get me all the way back home. So it's 2,600 kilometres to the top of the dome and then an equivalent distance to get back. What? So at this point, I'm imagining for six months this orange boot just over and over again. It's my audacious goal is to get that orange boot with my foot in it on top of Dome Argus and blockade after blockade after blockade with logistics and permissions anyway the day comes about a month before i leave salomon send my boot from italy and you know with a sponsored boot you can't ask what color they're going to send so 50 50 but as soon as the box arrives i grab a knife and cut it open and i know that it's going to be an orange boot because that that would completely derail me yeah if it's a white boot (laughs) and it seems crazy that it was that important but this is how much stock I have in these faith images. If if it was a white boot, I'm probably not going because there's something not right with my prep. Mm. So I opened the box with this, like my heart is doing about 200 beats a minute and only I would be privy to how momentous this moment was for me after seven years of planning for it all to come down to the colour of a boot but that's how much stock I lay in this incredible tool that we've given, the faith eye image. Mm. It's a supernatural portal into the future. And if that boot is the wrong colour, then I'm not ready to go. Wow. 
So it's got this packing material, you know, that little yeah. beans of stuff, and I, I'm almost scared to separate the packing <laughs> material. And I, like, take a swimmer's stroke through it, and I just see a hint of orange come through and grab this boot. And it's like I've got the Olympic torch. I pull it out, and I'm yelling and screaming because it's aligned with my faith I image. Mm. And in my soul, I know that that means that I'm going to make it to the top of Dome Argus, despite the hardship between that point yeah, and getting there, and it was the most brutal journey, and I've done brutal journeys, so I, I know hardship, but I never expected it to be as tough as it was, and mm. I broke down more, and had multiple episodes of tears, and multiple episodes where I felt like I was done, and that was the end of my adventuring, and I wouldn't make it home, uh, but literally six months to the day, um, you know, from when I started that faith eye image i watched my left boot step onto the highest point wow of dome argus um i think it was 41 days from the point that i started the journey um and no humans ever made that journey no humans ever stood on that point solo unsupported and you know 70 percent of the ice i crossed in that journey had never had human foot on it so it was a powerful moment and another example of how powerful this dream mapping is. Yeah. And yet most of our young people don't get taught it. They don't understand the power of it. And, you know, it doesn't have to be a dome argus. You mm. work on column one, the easy wins. Yeah. Because they almost give you the confidence to, to go to the next stretch. The next yeah. stretch. Well, those easy wins are... Amazing, because you'll you, you set a, a dream that's an easy win, build a faith eye image attached to it, mm. step into that and go, wow, that matches so closely mm. to what my imagination built six months ago. Let's stretch a bit harder for the yep. next one. And then that process builds its own momentum and mm. other things happen around you. And, you know, a dream maker is, is a person with momentum. They're like a boat on, on yep. a plane. If you meet a dream maker, they are getting stuff done. Yep. And that creates self-belief. Its own sense of... And belief in the people around you yep. that, okay, if this dream maker says he or she is going to do something, it's going to happen. I want to get on board. I want to help them. I want to slipstream with them. Let me tell you about one of our partners, Freedom Broadband. They're an incredible profit-for-purpose business. Freedom Broadband is your all-in-one internet and telephone service provider, whether it's for your business or your home. Now, their internet connection and speeds are simply amazing, and they're in another league when it comes to the quality of their customer service. But here's what really sets them apart. When you switch to any of their services, they'll donate $5 every month to a nonprofit cause of your choice. As the founder of You Belong, an Australian-based non-profit charity, one of the greatest challenges we face is fundraising. And I think I can speak for almost all leaders in the non-profit world when I say that being able to have a residual income coming into your accounts to support your work is a dream come true. And like most non-profits, our work is dependent on the generous support of individuals and groups that share our passion to empower refugees to integrate and thrive here in Australia. But what that means is that we spend more time and energy looking for ways to raise support, and what I desperately love to be doing is spending that time and our limited resources developing and growing 
the many successful programs that we run. But here's where our friends at Freedom Broadband come in. You see, a few months back, I was on a 4G wireless connection at home through one of the largest phone and internet companies here in Australia. And each month I was nervous about going over our usage, getting a nasty bill at the end. And I was working on a lot of the podcasting and videos at home and the speeds I was getting were just painfully debilitating. And I finally decided to give Freedom Broadband a call. And within two minutes, I was on the call with Graham completing my application. And within a week, I had completely switched over to their $79 a month unlimited plan. And I can tell you firsthand, the service has been phenomenal and I have a direct line to their customer service team whenever I have a question or need assistance. And now the studio and office where I work has switched over to Freedom Broadband as well. We're on their business plan and we haven't looked back. And how cool is this? Little by little, connection by connection, Aussie-owned and locally run Freedom Broadband is now actively supporting the great work of non-profits in communities all around Australia. Simply by switching your internet to Freedom Broadband, you can help transform the lives of those less fortunate. And that's why I love these guys. And get this, head to freedombroadband.com.au and quote Justice Matters on your application form and they will donate $50 from the activation fee to support Justice Matters. That's going to enable us to continue this podcast and inspire the world where everyone belongs. That's freedombroadband.com.au. Say goodbye to expensive, mediocre internet with poor customer service and hello to top-notch internet service and the good feeling of knowing you're supporting a great cause. Join Freedom Broadband today. Quote Justice Mattis and let's partner together with the internet that's helping to change the world. Um, so it's it's a super powerful process and something that I think you know absolutely needs to be shared. And I think in the context of your audience, it's about how do we use that energy to harness projects that create justice in the world yeah. around us. You know, how do we how do we encourage our people to go, okay, if you have a dream, I know my daughter Jade is probably our most strong proponent for justice, you know. Um, she's worked with um, A21, mm-hmm. you know, has a real heart for ending female slavery mm. and human trafficking. For her, she has seen this process in action through adventure and I know she applies it in her life. She mm. she dreams and, and builds an image of her as a lawyer being involved, you know, with the United Nations in policy making and, and really making a difference in the background um, to change outcomes for people. Um, so it's not just about selfish ambition, you know. Sure. Essentially, a guy walking across Antarctica for 58 days, losing time with family and friends and community, Essentially, that's a selfish endeavour. But if I can use that to educate young people about the process, mm. it gets you in a position where a father of three in his last year of his 40s, you know, when your body should be not healing as well and not able to cop punishment, mm. can train on the beaches of the Gold Coast and go and smash Scandinavian records that mm. have held for a long time that just doesn't make sense without yeah. something supernatural going on in the background. 
So, you know, obviously there's a massive faith element, mm. um, prayer, healing, words of knowledge, all of that stuff. But uh, aside from that, there's a very secular component of just self-belief and this incredible portal into the future that we can create through our own faith, our image. Wow. Jeff, man, I'm, I want to do a session of, of my dream making, map making uh, with you. Um, it sounds like that um, that would that kind of mentoring that you provide young people could could go mainstream and and really have a huge impact. I'm sure. One of the things you pointed out though was that element of being able to marry what you do with a sense of not just a selfish ambition, but how can I make how can I make this how can I make it an impact on those around me? And you have actually tied a lot of your adventures to uh, whether it be raising support finances for you know some kind of fundraising ambition or with uh, other other goals in mind how important have has that component been for you or can you give an example of of what that's been like well i had a, a really a bit of a row with um dick smith over this years ago because mm. he always felt that adventuring and charity should be very separate there's no there's no reason why an adventurer should tag a charity that's diluting the purity of pure adventure and it's mm-hmm. it's you know I think it has been done in the past where people go oh I need support let's just pick a charity with no passion involved to make us look good and I understand where Dick was coming from sure. but my reply to him I said Dick that's because and this he probably found offensive at the time but I didn't really give two hoots. Um, that's because you've never used your body as the vehicle. You've never needed superhuman endurance to get through to your goal. You've hopped in a helicopter or a hot air balloon and you've floated or flown. You haven't had to dig into the very soul of humanity to pull that you know, human endurance out to get to something that was thought it was impossible physically. Sure. So if you're, if you're just doing it for yourself and – on my first Antarctic journey, a French explorer, Faisal Hanesh, was camped three kilometres from me. We were both racing to be the third human to cross coast to pole to coast. Only two other men had ever done it, Borges Usland and a fellow called Rune, Rune Geddes. Mm. So both of us wanted to race across. So we were in the same aircraft and in that aircraft, uh, bearing in mind I'm wearing bright pink, I've got a sled that's made in the shape of female breasts because I'm doing it for a breast cancer charity. Mm. It's bright pink. So I look like a comedy act. <laughs> I sell a lot of my gear is secondhand. Mm. Um, I borrowed, begged, stole to get the expedition together. Faisal is um, sponsored by Bitcoin mm. at the time. Bitcoin's a new thing. No one, so yeah. I don't totally. even know what Bitcoin was at the time, but. They seemed to have some cash because he had the best French down. His jacket looked beautiful. Sled looked beautiful. Skis looked beautiful. Um, I had serious gear envy. I, I didn't realise that during the the flight, the eight hours from Cape Town to land on the edge of the ice sheet, a betting syndicate had been made up and there were 10 guys working at a resort called White Desert, which is like a high-end um, tourism destination for very wealthy people that fly their jet. Mm down there and spend time 
looking at penguins. Anyway, nine of them bet that the Frenchman would cross. The one guy that bet the, that the Aussie would cross had a girl, um, uh, like a, his closest friend, dying of breast cancer in Cape Town mm. Hospital. And mm. he, he gave me a pink balloon and said, listen, can you say a prayer for her and release this balloon when you get to the South Pole? He had no doubt that I would get to the South Pole. Wow. And um, the difference was that Faisal was there for his own goal. I was there representing women that were plugging into chemo and reading my blog, watching video images coming out of Antarctica. I had seen women with both their breasts cut off, um, you know, with a bright and happy attitude saying, listen, be safe. So when those feelings of defeat and quitting came, I had these multiple images of women that I stood for um, in my mind that made it impossible to quit. And within three days of the start of that journey, the most vicious storm in 50 years to hit an Antarctic coastline mm. built in the Antarctic Ocean. And I got an email from my weather guy in Belgium saying, Jeff, there's a big storm on the way. Um, how good is your storm survival skills? And at that point, I'd, I'd never really been tested. I'd been through some storms in New Zealand in the high country, one killer storm in the Arctic. Um, so my repertoire of storm survival was not Still big. Still not bad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and we'd had a sandstorm carrier cameraman in his tent across the Sahara. So I'd been through some weather events, mm. uh, but I'd... You know, I had no inkling of what a cold Antarctic storm would feel like. So anyway, the next morning I get an email from him again saying, listen, this has been upgraded. Um, it's going to rip planes out of their tetherings. It's going to roll demountables at the at the Russian base three kilometres away. Mm. Sorry, 30 kilometres away. Um, you are going to have to have your wits about you to survive this storm. You know, just before I dug in waiting for the storm, he sent an email saying, I, I have serious concerns about your ability to survive this storm. So I had emails sort of stating that this storm could kill us both. And I was in contact with Faisal three kilometres away, just comparing what we were doing to prep for it. And we both dug our tents in, built walls on the upwind side and just prepped. And over the next four days, the storm went from a thousand screaming alley cats to 50 747s parked upwind of the tent. Oh, my gosh. Had winds of over 200 kilometres an hour, wind chill down to minus 47. Um, I can't even imagine like, what that – what your body is hearing and feeling and sensing and how that does not translate to complete terror. <laughs> oh, it, and you're, you're fighting panic the whole time. I would be. You're – absolutely mortified thinking i'm three kilometers in to this sorry 30 kilometers into this journey i'm three kilometers from a french explorer we're both going to die here he's going to look like a serious contender i'm going to look like a comedy act connected to a wow. set of bright pink breasts and then i rang both my mentors so a beautiful girl maddie mcnair who did a lot of my training she was the first woman to get to the north pole mm-hmm the fastest female as well using sled dogs when the ice used to be thick enough. 
And then Eric Phillips, who's always been a mentor of mine down in Launceston, probably um, he was Prince Harry's guide. Mm. And I rang both of them and they both agreed I'd done everything I could. But Eric's final comments were, listen, if the, if the tent breaches, meaning, you know, it'll handle about 80 knots, but above that the fabric's going to tear, you're not going to be able to communicate you'll find that the the snow will get forced into your jacket openings and your body will melt it. It'll degrade your thermal properties and you'll die of hypothermia over about a four-hour period. And he'd seen this happen before, so he knew what was coming. And so the next phone call was to Sarah and I, she could barely hear me over the scream of the wind. And I said, Sarah, this, this storm is about a third of the way through its cycle and already it's it's up around 40 50 knots there's serious concerns as to whether i'll survive this storm uh so i just need to know that um i love you and i'll Mm. do i'll do my absolute best but it may not be enough and there was a silence for a while and then she came back like the lioness she is and said you know don't you dare after all you've put us through training in japan new zealand the arctic all the time away from family, don't you even contemplate death. If you, you, you just need to get that out of your mind and work hard, get your boots back on, get outside, build that wall and make sure you get through the storm. And it was kind of a slap that I needed to just increase my work intensity. And so for the next 36 hours, the storm just kept building, building, building to a point where I couldn't get a stove on, like- I couldn't melt water days oh my god yeah it was brutal and you imagine your heads in a white bucket with a 747 engine parked 10 feet away the flapping of the canvas starts to send you insane you're not getting any sleep no sleep and you're literally dozing in your down suit and then you're out digging blocks rebuilding the wall and every time you go out you're just amazed at how little of the wall is left because it's, it's getting sandblasted by particles of ice moving at 200 kilometres an hour. Um, anyway, the storm tipped at about 78, 79 knots, which was about the breaking point of the fabric. And I could see the fabric was just hanging by a thread. And then amazingly, the storm passed. And uh, the morning that it, it broke, I could see blue sky for the first time and everything was buried. It took me about three hours to, to dig the tent out, dig the sleds out. Uh, but within about six hours of the storm finishing, I was moving again. Three kilometres away, Faisal was as shell-shocked as me, but he just couldn't move. He, he stayed dug in for the whole of that day and then started to dig himself out the next day. By that point, I was about 40 kilometres further inland the next day I made another 40, so I was about 100 kilometres inland when another storm brewed. Faisal had only moved probably 10 kilometres from his position and he got hit by the second storm and it was nearly as brutal as the first. So by the time he came out of that second storm, he was mentally done in. He has gone. He never recovered. 17 days later, he was airlifted off Antarctica and, and went home and 53 days later... The Aussie from the beaches was at Hercules Inlet. <laughs> so, you know, the, wow. the kind of story there is really just to say that if you're doing an endeavour or challenge and it's tagged as something you believe in, yep. you know, a cause that you're passionate about, 
it is rocket fuel yeah. to your endeavor. You know, it will it will just change your trajectory. So to step into something just because you want a big house and a fancy car, that's not going to be enough. Oh, we know we know. There's plenty of stories of people that get all of those things. Um, I know people that um, therapists to Grammy award winners, and the day after they've won their Grammy award, they're they call him and say, "I've never been more depressed in my life. Like yeah. I thought, I thought this was it, you know." And and again, that's achieving your goal. But I think there's something more than just what you're achieving. I think that element of why and so is so important. So important. Um, you know, you can build the biggest house and and, and all that if your why is. I want to be a place of hospitality for people and I want to use this to be such a place where people come and get rest and find healing and whatever that could be, um, that's going to have a profoundly different experience and end goal than the person who just does it for because I just want to I want to win and everyone else to lose kind of yeah. mentality. If you get on my Instagram, it's Dr. Jeff Wilson with a G. You'll see a link to Coco in one of my posts, or Coco McQuilty, I think is his tag. But mm. um, humble guy, but just this incredible gratitude for being alive. Mm. And when you look at his x-rays with the amount of hardware in his body and 34 procedures later, you think, this guy should be angry. He mm. should be miserable. Um, but he chooses to give and to be kind and to be grateful. And it, he's a... An honour to know, you know, an incredible guy. We just had a, a sweet lady, Rowena Matiski, stay with us and she lost. Um, uh, she was a teacher here on the Gold Coast and is now up at the Sunshine Coast and she lost her a leg and she's had, I think, over 50 operations mm-hmm. um, simply by just twisting her ankle. And 50 operations later, you know, I don't know if it was a decade ago or, or longer. It uh, she has um, and up the latest and some of the most grueling operations she's had in the last six months. Um, and it was an Iraqi refugee that has was the, the leading prosthetic um, that you know came to Australia by boat um, that is put her has put her um, prosthetic, prosthetic leg. Oh. You know, on is the invented this this incredible ground barking, but she is the most generous and kind person. She stayed with us and brought gifts for our children, and has so much joy. And yet, she lives with agony and and physical pain every single day. And um, and it is it is people like that <laughs> that are for me. They're they're like the yeah they're the reference points. Yeah. For what true life is and what true courage is, um, and for what it means to be human, I think they they epitomise to me what the human spirit truly is all about. Um, well, it it really is what makes us human. In that, you know, if we were just animals and carbon and dust, then kindness makes no sense whatsoever because mm-hmm. it's it's actually anti-survival like survival would be everything for me hoard it Mm. keep it but we see that that approach leads to 
anxiety, depression, despair. Mm. So there's this incredible proof right in front of us that we are supernatural. Yeah. And that kindness makes sense. And it's the way we're wired. And we've all been in situations, whether it's at school or at work, where there's an absence of kindness. Mm. And it's a horrible atmosphere. No, no human likes it. You know, it's a dog eat dog, Lord of the Flies kind yes. of environment. And it's not a fun place to be. You know, um, there's whole cultures that are built on a lack of kindness, like the Nazi party or, mm. you know, where you just, looking at images, you can feel the lack of kindness. Mm. And it's, you know, an absent, probably the only place I have ever been in my life where I felt a complete void or a vacuum of all kindness, all goodness, all godliness was in a wealthy part of Banda Aceh where mm. the buildings were big enough that they trapped a lot of people during the quake. Um, so people just didn't escape the coming flood, mm. the wave coming through. So the volume of dead was just hard to believe you know three people deep stacked on top of each other you couldn't walk through a building anywhere in that part of the city without popping your boot through a rib cage and getting human you know fluids into your clothing and there was this kind of maniacal laughter in my head which i felt was absolutely the complete void or vacuum of kindness or goodness or godliness and it's a place I never want to go back to. Mm. You know, and, um, if we can fight for justice for all people, for all colours, all nations, you know, that is the place that we want to be operating in where there's a, an abundance of kindness and goodness and godliness. Um, that's an exciting world to live in. You know? and, it, and it's a world where we see the colours and the adventure mm. as opposed to the world where it's all about material gain and stepping on the shoulders of those next year to mm. climb the ladder and, and yeah is the other person a means to my end and and i think i think we're seeing more than ever a realization that um there's overtly obvious ways we see that happening but there's whole systems in our society that have have built upon you know we think of slavery as just a something in the past, you know, um, where, you know, but it is our fashion industry, our industries in by and large, the way we create and produce and consume has actually, and our political systems, they are embedded in them is these systems of injustice, of systems of oppression that I think Thankfully, it's been a difficult couple of years, but with pro with with the different um, you know awakenings in our own culture, our own past, and our own history, and our own you know the things that have just happened you know in the last couple of years, there's been a rise of hang on these systems of oppression have to come down if we are to build and it's great a to better a better future. Those conversations are happening, but I know people, and I, some days I feel like this where you're. You're so overwhelmed by the enormity of the problem right. that you almost are immobilised. And we did a journey uh, where the Root Charity was an incredible charity called the She Home in Cambodia where they were, um, I think it was a Sahara journey. I had three girls' photos on the, 
the stem of my kite buggy um, and there were three girls that had been um, freed from human trafficking at, at a very young age, eight or nine years of old, of age, um, and then rehabilitated through this she-home, taught skills that then meant that they could go and prosper. Um, but their, their logo or their tagline was for the one. So don't, don't give up yeah, based on the enormity like yeah. of the problem. Yeah. Just affect the one. So yeah. if you can just be kind and gracious with one person in your day, then you've made – you don't have to fix the whole global yeah. slavery yeah. issue in one day. Your daughter might one day as a lawyer. She <laughs> might be the one that will be like a William Wilberforce. Or yeah. A, but but it starts by – you're right. It starts by well, what do I have in my hands? What can I do today? And then that, that's that not – end. That's not overwhelming. No. You know, all of us can be kind to one person during our day. And then, you know, it becomes a habit. Yeah. It becomes the way that you live. And we can choose where we where we shop or what clothes we buy. I mean, if that's just one small step that you like, next time I buy myself a pair of jeans, I'm actually going to look up the, the 2020 um, ethical fashion guide that the Baptist World Aid puts out and I'm going to look at the companies and I'm going to be like, you know what, I'll do this and it – it might not change the whole system of it. But you're voting with your feet. But you're actually saying, you know what, there's a congruency, at least in the powers that I have, Yeah, yeah. that um, now that I know, now that I'm aware and I've chosen to, and you can't do that with absolutely every single thing you do, but so, the you know, you can't like get lost in just, you know, Although feeling you guilty about it all. But You have a daughter like Jade, she will remind me. Yeah. Dad, you need to recycle your plastics and be careful where your Levi's are coming from. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so you need need someone like that to poke you on occasion to, especially in our generation, because yes. we, we didn't think about it. Yeah. It, we were oblivious to what was going on in sweatshops in China yeah. or Indonesia or Philippines and, and creating, you know, if we can create change through uh, responsible purchases, yeah. that's huge. Yeah. That's the first step. Uh, uh, but, you know, we need people like you to, who are flagpoles reminding us that we need to do more. Mm. Um, and I honour you for that in that you have dedicated your life to being a flagpole and a rallying cry for more being done. And it's phenomenal. But it's a wonderful way to live. Yeah. Uh, and we we all need, we all bring our unique part piece to that puzzle. We are all... Um, got tools in our hand to make this world a more beautiful place, a better place for us all. The plumber can, not just with what he does, and he doesn't have to provide plumbing. We we took a team of plumbers to the Philippines and build latrines. Now, we've done that. You can do yeah. that. But by the way you do your plumbing work and treat your customers and the way you treat your apprentice and the the how you do what you do, is also just as important as what you do in creating a more beautiful world. And so we're not we're not off the hook. None of us are off the hook, but we all have a part, a beautiful contribution to play. So uh, whether it's a podcast or an adventure across the polar <laughs> extremes or where, whatever it is that you're passionate about, being a lawyer like your daughter, uh, an artist – like Banksy, I don't know. You could. Yeah. There's a financial, you know. There's there's 
cryptocurrencies out there designed to empower African the African continent, you know, to get into the financial system so they have economic empowerment. I mean, whatever it is, that is part of justice making. And it's, it's just doing something. I mean, and we can also get into this whole, it's very similar to the pressure that the material world put on us for years to, to provide, to do, to, to store mm. up wealth. You know, we can get into this pressure that am I doing enough? You know, it's a similar kind of pressure, mm. but I think as long as you're doing something, yes. um, I find it's weird. I, 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 this pressure comes at night. You know, when I wake up, you, you've got that, oh, I've got to go do a pee. It's two in the morning. <laughs> if, I, if, I, um, if I don't kick my toe, I can kind of hobble in and have a pee and then get back to bed and be asleep in seconds. But if I kick my toe, it's like all the lights in Bunnings coming on, going boom, 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 and your brain's firing up. And you're like, no, 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 no. And then you're awake. And it's in those moments where I, I judge myself and go, am I doing yeah. enough? For humanity, am I making a difference? And you know, to get back to sleep, I have to convince myself that what I'm doing is significant. Um, wow! You know, to get back to sleep, I have to review my day and go, okay, who who was I kind to, and who did I affect mm. and encourage and inspire today? Uh, so the days where I've been able to share with young people and get them mm. to dream and vision again, I sleep easy. Sure. The days where you know, it's all been about me and and latte sipping um, are difficult. I, I lie there awake. Mm. You know, so there's this internal pressure which I have to manage just, right. just like any other yep. internal expectation um, to try and lead a life of significance. Um, but I know that as, you know, if you're on your deathbed, you're not going to review your material possessions in your mind. You're no. going to review your family, your friends, um, your community and did I make the world a better place mm. with the the years that I had? Um, so I think you know the discussion that you're talking through yeah. through Justice Matters is a hard discussion, yeah. but it's a necessary one. And good things come through hard things. Thanks for listening to this episode of Justice Matters. I'd also like to shout out to the Patreon community that financially supports this podcast. Guys, thank you so much for your support. And you can join them simply by going to patreon.com forward slash justice matters where a simple donation of $5 a month, you can become part of the Patreon community and get access to behind the scenes content and extras that I share just with you. And lastly, there is another really important way that you can help support the podcast, and that's simply by rating it or leaving a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, maybe by subscribing on YouTube. Yes, we are a video podcast as well. Guys, thank you so much for listening in to this episode. Justice Matters, please come again soon. I can't wait to share more episodes with you. Thank you so much. I'm your host, Tim Buxton. Thanks for listening.